You're listening to the Practically Pastoring Podcast, where we want to help pastors and church leaders share ideas, become better shepherds and leaders, and have a good time with friends. Welcome back, everybody, to the Practically Pastoring Podcast. This voice is not the voice of your normal host, Frank Gill. My name is Jeff. I'm hosting today because Frank Gill has abandoned ship. It's basically Boo. the skeleton skeleton crew here today. and uh, But with me, my uh, Practically Pastoring Podcast pals down in South Carolina, Delmar Pete. Hello there. Down in the uh, home Champa of champions, Champa Champa Bay. Bay. Safety Harbor, suburb <laughs> kind of of Champa Bay, Andrew Larson. Greetings and salutations, one and all. So Frank and Tim are not with us today. They're slackers. Uh, yeah, I mean, Tim had something legit with his with his kid. So, I mean, that's legit. Frank, we basically had to kick out because he cooks steaks in the air fryer. and we can't, No, he was pretending that campus that. pastors do something. We can't accept that kind of nonsense. But we also, Dell is going to introduce us to a new... New friend of the podcast today. Yeah, and if you have watched our special podcast on YouTube, you've heard of him. Mm-hmm. This is a former um, My Little Ponytails cosplayer <laughs> turned pastor Sean Gada on the show today with us. He's in upstate South Carolina. Hey, Sean. Hey, what's up, Del? I just appreciate you know how you led me in that and showed me everything you knew about it. And uh, <laughs> that was a that was a scary few weeks of my life. But you know, with a little more prayer, maybe we'll get you back into things. Uh, I know it's been six years now. You've been doing that, and uh, big yeah. prayers for you, buddy. But glad to be with you guys. Now, does that include? Is there like LARPing in that world? Oh, you know, I actually have I have friends at my campus who LARP, and that they're married now. They met on a friends. LARP. Yeah. Listen, no, I thought you were totally going to, I, dude, I thought you were going a totally different direction with that. Like they used to LARP, but now they're married, so they got out of LARPing. But no, they're a couple. No, they are then, a LARP wow. couple. I think that I'm like yeah. the biggest nerd in any conversation that I'm in. And then I hear other people talk, and I'm like, okay, maybe not. <laughs> dude, the rabbit May- hole goes deep sometimes. Maybe I am the Zach Morris of this group. <laughs> oh. <laughs> of this group? So yeah, that would make Jeff um, Slater. Then we're gonna make him. Wow. There we go. I've never yeah. been on that level before. Hey, so anyway. guys, last night I don't know if you know this, but there was this thing that happened. Uh, Andrew, if you could see us, is pretty aware because he's got the shirt, and I'm pretty sure Tim had the shirt. But Andrew, what happened? We thought you were going to be in Orlando today. Tell us we about were, what happened. Well, what happened was Disney's afraid of COVID, and so they canceled the Super Bowl parade. We had. <laughs> So much like, anger in your voice. I'm so sad. We, you know, at, to go to Disney now, you actually have to reserve spots. There's only X number of people they let in each park because of the COVID restrictions. So both Tim and I reserved spots. We were going to take our sons and enjoy the Buccaneers Championship Parade. Male bonding. On Friday afternoon at like 3.30, they announced that they'll still invite the MVP, but there will be no parade. So I'm having my own Disney Buccaneers parade in my heart of hearts. Hey, did you wash that shirt between last night and today or no? I didn't. So the story is Tim was texting me like in the third quarter. And I was like, what? Like, why is he asking me what size shirt I'm getting? His parents left the Miller family Super Bowl party to be the first in line at Dick's. And I was included in the Miller family t-shirt order. I think his parents bought 13 shirts just to make sure everyone that wanted one could get one. That's like as as much status as when couples are Facebook official. You know, yeah, like, that's like a big in, deal. Yeah, that's real. 
my wife asked if that meant that his parents were going to babysit my kids, but I don't think we're quite at that level yet. But it's still it's pretty official. I have something to add. As a as a Browns fan, I want you to know this is the difference of uh, being a fan of the Cleveland Browns your whole life and being a fan of any other team. Is that if and when Cleveland gets to this scenario and we're up by twenty point twenty two points in the third quarter, no one will go to the store because we know <laughs> if we go to the store, we are going to blow it in the last. <laughs> quarter and a half so i i mean browns fans no are way. like equivalent to like cubs fans before they won yeah right oh, of like well, you recognize how the cubs won right they played the cleveland indians oh i didn't even think about that <laughs> yeah. dude yeah dang okay so last night you guys probably i assume maybe dell i don't listen i'm not judging i'm just i'm assuming maybe you didn't see the game i don't know oh no no, no. hey you would be so proud of me man I heard that they were filming the game with Sony A7 IVs. Remember, I and, texted and so you. Pretty. Yeah, you, you were super right. So, like, I have the Sony A7 III. So, I actually went to um, our student guy at our campus. Uh, he had a student party. And uh, so, I went there. We watched that. And we unboxed our new Mac Mini at the same time. So, it was it was a best Super Bowl. When I took the Strengths Finders test, one of my top five was connectedness. So mm. I have an easy time connecting different people. And I'm like, I'm into sports. I'm also into cameras. I can pull Dell into this. I'll be honest. If you watch that game and you realize that sucker was shot on those little Sonys, that is fantastic it's amazing, what they dude. pulled off. Well, the backpacks that, is- that they're wearing yeah. is what sends it all to the truck. So, you know, Tim and I, we do another podcast on Monday mornings. And we use a couple of, of Lumix cameras with some some nice lenses, but still very much consumer grade. And he was texting me. He's like, you know, we could... In theory, we could replicate that <laughs> setup for about three thousand dollars. I'm like, for for all twenty people that watch our show, is it worth spending hey, three thousand dollars? The morning after ministry deserves that. You deserve it. Hey, if, if, these, st- Treat if, these, stim- if these stimulus packages keep coming out, I mean, I might have not to. Wrong. Dell, you know what made me actually think of you is when I saw an ND filter change live. Like I, yeah. I saw the ND filter change, and I was like, "Oh, Dell would like that." So I, that's oh. when I said, "Hey, Dell, you got to see these cameras, man." It, I was actually pretty like I, I was even sitting here because I'm super foreign to that world. I'm like, they're drawing on the screen like you can on your iPad. It was, <laughs> it was cool. Like, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm super out of it. They've been doing that since oh, 1987. <laughs> What'd you guys think of the halftime show? Any thoughts? I mean, the game was was pretty exciting the first half. Second half was kind of a blowout. And the only thing I thought was like, hey, but listen, Patriots, Falcons, anything could happen. And I mean, Mahomes is Mahomes, man. A couple of those throws he made like sideways with turf toe and his receivers, it hit him in the face like twice. (laughs) If you get hit in the face and you drop it in the Super Bowl. Is Man. it just like Vogue right now every Super Bowl to talk about how much you hate the halftime? Because that's all I saw on Facebook. I thought the last halftime night. show was great. I, th- I thought so too. My parents were at my house for the first half and they left at halftime. And my dad texted me. He's like, I'm sad to say I made it home for part of the halftime show. Yeah. And, <laughs> and Melissa, you- my wife, said, I don't know what people are complaining about. This sure beats old ladies pole dancing. Yeah, why are we being so negative? Like, I went on Facebook, and my mom, mom, if you're listening to this, I love you, but, like, (laughs) she said, I'm glad there was nobody just half-dressed. And I was like, do we have to be, I mean, can we just say it was good music? We don't have to be negative. Be positive, you know? As millennials, like a lot of us, there are things that define our life. Like 9-11, I knew where I was, you know? And then another thing that defined my life, I knew exactly where I was during the Janet Jackson halftime show. (laughs) 
I was right there in youth group. That's because you were 13. On a large screen yeah. projector, watching a youth pastor try to jump in front of the projector. Yeah. That makes me feel so old. I was yeah. the cha- I was chaperoning that were youth, you the youth group party. Pastor? I wasn't. No, I, I was a. I think I was a junior in Bible college. Okay. Okay. So you're you were you were in the great you were in the in the purgatory of evangelical ministry. Yes. Like yes, you in were. between Bible college and actual being at the in ministry, you're in this in this purgatory of like I'm an intern, so I don't really know what I am. I'm working sure. at Denny's, but I'm still expected to be ready to preach at a moment's notice. What did you do when that happened? And you were kind of like a grunt man. I pointed at the screen because I was sitting next to the two youth pastors that were paid, and I said "boob." And uh... <laughs> that is such an intern thing to do. It, it really is, man. You know, those youth pastors had a meeting about you after that. Like, I don't know if Andrew can make it in ministry. Did you see what he did? He's not. He doesn't have the cut. No, right. true story. I was, I was, I was sitting with my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, and she was like, "Is that her boob?" And then we all turned, and sure, so my wife was the first one to notice, who was like a 19-year-old college freshman. Well, I was uh, one of four people who fell asleep during the halftime show last night. So I, I think I fell asleep mainly because that shot when he went into the golden hallway made me throw up everywhere, and then I had a seizure, and then uh, hit my head sometime, and I woke up in the third quarter. So, um <laughs> Dude, the best meme I saw coming out of that was a shot from that golden hallway, like selfie shot where everything was like crazy and blurry. And it was a screenshot from that. And it just said me every time my mom tries to call me on FaceTime, which I, <laughs> that was pretty funny. It's true. <laughs> it pretty it's good. true how much that hurts. So did you guys uh, do anything like uh, with your church family or were you just at home? We we prayed for the Buccaneers uh, You know, during the benediction. It was, you know. The regular benediction and go bucks. And <laughs> we had, I'd say, 60% of our crew was in some kind of bucks gear at church yesterday. Uh, our drummer uh, is on the drum line for Buccaneers home games. Oh, so cool. he was there. So, we, you know, we had we had some people that were actually at the game, but no, we didn't do any kind of church party. Did he skip church on Sunday morning because no, he, he had to save his hands? No, he played. No, because they, they weren't allowed. They weren't allowed to play the drum line since it oh. wasn't technically a home game. Right, but, right, right. So, so he was in his Bucks jersey playing, and then he left from church to get to the tailgate nice and early. But we, uh, we, we cheered for the Bucks as a church, just not all together. Yeah, you got to be careful doing that up here because it's Ravens territory up here. So yeah, I was I sent out one little post of like, hey, I went to this stadium with my grandfather when I was a kid. Go Bucks. And that was pretty safe, but I was sad they couldn't. They couldn't fire the cannons, man. Why couldn't you they know, fire the I cannons? Because f- it's not technically a home game, and that would oh, be like wow. an unfair advantage. But that would have been so legit, man. I know. Do you know what? The some somebody in that booth should have been ready to get fired, yeah, or have or have an intern do it. Like, have hey, an intern, in, intern. I'm not telling you. Look, you're done here at the end of the semester. If you push this button after we score. I'll still write you the same recommendation letter. That's probably you, a better one. Yeah, you got to set up somebody to be the fall what's guy. What's the What's the radio guy's name that always yells "Fire the cannons"? Gene Deckerhoff. Man, I mean, was waiting. For, I was mean, just I can hear it Gene. in my mind. Fire the cannons! It was great. Oh, that was a good impression. If anybody who is not in Tampa Bay is listening, you just heard exactly what Mean Gene Deckerhoff sounds like. 
And when I was a kid, he, I just, it's like Mike Allstott would truck somebody over and then he'd yell, fire the cannons. It was I great. was going to wear my Allstott jersey to church yeah. yesterday, but the, my Allstott jersey is the creamsicle and I just, it just doesn't, it's very orange. It's not great with my, uh, with my flesh tone. Man. Well, it was, a, it was a fun night last night. I spent it with family and, uh, we just watched the game and had a good time. I was happy that the, the halftime show, the music was pretty good and there was no like, cringy moments so that was pretty nice and i thought they got pretty creative with the limitations they had of not being able to go on the field and stuff and using they used the jumbotron as part of their background which is pretty smart all right guys well glad you all had a good time watching the super bowl hopefully it'll be another uh eventful fun time next year when the super bowl happens lord willing and the covid don't rise but uh right now we're gonna take a break and we'll be back for clergy cliff notes All right, guys, so today I picked the clergy cliff note because Frank's gone, and when the cat's away, stuff happens. So uh, I don't know if you guys heard this or if you're familiar with Flame. I am not super into Flame as a an artist, hip-hop artist, but uh, I heard through the grapevine that he released a new album in which he was exploring uh, Lutheran thought, specifically in his second album on communion, and I was like really intrigued by it, and I am a fan of hip-hop. So I went and listened to the album, and uh, this is an area where I think some of us have, you know, kind of different theological stances on the nature of communion and what it is and stuff, which is totally fine. Um, And so I just wanted to kind of, uh, if you didn't know that he had this album, I would totally recommend you go listen to it and the one before, which is called Extra Nos, uh, in which he kind of comes out and says, hey, I'm no longer really Calvinist. I'm I'm Lutheran now. And uh, he really explores that in his songs. And uh, I would just say, even if you are strongly Calvinist, which is cool, like you should listen to it anyway, just to hear this other perspective and to, it might prompt you to study something more, which is kind of how I always feel about, you know, theological disagreement, I think is a good thing because it makes you at least study what you know and be able to know why you know it or why you believe it even better. So, um, but here's here's what I wanted to uh, kind of bring up as a clergy cliff note. So obviously I'm going to assume that Flame is like part of a church somewhere and he's a church member. So my question is, what do you guys do or have you experienced um, having a member go down, start to go down a different theological path on some issue like this? And what did you do or what would you do? Can I tell you what not to do? As someone who personally experienced this, when I was a student personally in high school, I grew up Southern Baptist. And I went and visited um, a PCA church down the road, and they were using big words that I couldn't understand. So I was like, I need to go here a little bit more. And um, my Sunday school teacher told the rest of the people in the class that I had abandoned the faith. And uh, and I had walked away from Christianity. <laughs> it might be a little quick. That's a little quick. I was just checking things out. But <laughs> they pushed me real hard into that PCA church after that. But you know, I think one of the things to do is not to just jump to conclusions. You know, like if somebody is out there and they're looking for something new, that is, it's a part of their sanctification. And I think that like we have to honor that God is helping them work it out. So not jumping to conclusions is for me the first thing, because as a pastor, if someone's looking at other stuff, I want to run in and say, you don't want to look at that because that leads to universalism. But what happens when you make things forbidden fruit and then you jump to conclusions for them? Oh, they're going to gobble it up. Well, 
that also uh, in the same way that that is part of their pursuit of holiness that also exposes our insecurities as pastors too right i mean it, it shows us what we are fearful of and it shows us our own attempt to control people and things when they don't need us to and especially someone who is reformed i mean you know the last thing i want to do is control people um and so when that happens and our very first thought is like oh gosh i gotta go grab this in and like get them in and pull them in all that does is expose my own heart to myself and to people around me as well of being insecure and scared of that as well so i think it's an interesting mix between like a shepherd's intuition and heart to protect which is part of that reaction mixed in with that insecurity of like, I need to control this and make sure I don't lose this person. So I think like, I, I totally agree with what you said, Sean. Like, I think you're absolutely onto it, but I don't want to discount the fact that like part of what makes us pastors is that we care about people. And like, part of that is wanting to say like, Hey, 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 you might want to. So for me, like when I think about this, it's first of all, like, is this a secondary or a primary thing? Like, are they saying Jesus isn't Lord or are they saying like, I'm going to sprinkle you instead of dunk you. You know, like those are two well, different kinds of case. questions. Huh? Yeah. So it's so you got to decide yeah. that. And I just would say as pastors, it's always a good thing to continually study and understand which things are primary and which things are not primary. Um, and that I think that just part of that is just like, man, be friends with an older pastor that is wise and you trust in a very in a who's in a kind of a similar theological stream as you to help you understand, like, which things do I need to actually get bent out of shape about and which things do I not? I don't, I'm, I'm not super into flame and that that's not really my thing, but, and, and I'm not saying that this is what, what he's doing, but so often, especially in people that are, you know, kind of digging into the academic side of their faith a little bit for the first time, that first real compelling message is eye opening. It's like, oh, okay. Like this is this is still orthodox and it's different than how it was ever presented to me. And it's, it, it's kind of like when we were in high school and you wanted to be the first person to listen to the new indie album because that made you indie and different and cool. And that was the, like, I I'm still into what you guys are into, but I'm a little bit edgier than you. And I, in my experience, lots of people that start to go down a, a variation of orthodoxy that's still orthodox and I'm not doubting salvation or anything, but it's just, I'm looking for something a little bit different. I think a lot of it is that's the first time they really dug super deep, which is what made that argument so compelling that they didn't think was that interesting before. A lot of people who are denominationally bound, they're in there because they're following what was what they were sucked into by their parents or, you know, maybe you're the first church they ever went to. So they joined and they didn't really know. And I think as pastors, we have to realize that, you know, we're shepherding them, but ultimately it's, it's Christ who's shepherding them. Um, now, if they're members of the church, like you always have to hold intention that they are covenant members of your church. So I have to treat them like, Hey, I'm in our church is in a relationship with this person. So like my kid right now at home is testing boundaries and like, yes, I've had to like lean in on some hard conversations, but every night before he goes in the bed, I say, who loves you? And he says, dad, dad. And I think if you are going to care about your people, have conversations that they may not want to have, they need to know before anything that before you're concerned with their mind, you really are concerned about their heart. And I find when they realize that they'll, the conversation you have about the mind is often more productive. It's good.
I think like for me, the kind of the first step behind all this, um, and I, I've had this experience a couple times, but um, where I have realized is I think a good place to start once you get to that theological space. Um, obviously, like you said, Dell, totally agree. Like the relationship is super important and kind of foundational for being able to have these kind of conversations. And a lot of times people will do these, they'll start to explore different traditions and stuff. And you don't know anything about it until they've been reading different stuff for like a year. So part of it for me, one experience I had was somebody who was kind of new to church in general, but had been, had grown up in the evangelical world. And so part of it for me was just to really, really do a good job of explaining like where our church was in particular, like understand what you're actually a part of right now. Uh, and then from there you can start to say, and here's where what you're reading is, is kind of differing. And here's where, and I think church, knowing church history is really important, um, you know, farther back than, than the Reformation even, and going all the way back as far as you can and, and trying to understand like how the threads of how we got where we got on these different issues um, worked and how it was informed different places historically and all that stuff. But for me, the first step is just to like, Hey, here, here's where we are as a church. Here's where, like you said, I think Dell, you know, you're in a covenant with this body of believers. You're under the leadership of these elders. And here's what we've, you know, here's where we are with that, which requires you as a pastor to be really clear with your elders and yourself where you actually are. And like you said, denomination, plays a big part of that. If you're part of one, um, you have some general guidelines, but it's really good to be clear. I would even recommend, you know, maybe as pastors think about writing uh, real simple position papers, like one to two page position papers on things, because it's a good exercise for you to articulate. Here's what we believe about communion. Here's what we believe about baptism. Uh, I recently wrote one with our elders about divorce and remarriage. Um, and so because someone was dealing with that and they had a lot of questions and it was really helpful for us to go, well, here's what Here's where we are, and now you know if you're in alignment with that or not, and then where we go from there. Yeah, one of the most important thing, and I think this you guys have spoken around it in the last couple of minutes, is when you find out that person is learning new things and is exploring different parts of the faith, the first thing you need to do before you even think about them is check in on your own self. What emotions are being elicited in you? Yeah. Am I, am I getting nervous, apprehensive? Am I excited because they're learning on their own? Because what I've learned in my own ministry, like handling it wrong is often more about our own insecurities than their heart. It's about their studying stuff. I don't know anything about, and I can't counsel them on it. Um, I will just give you one quick resource. And this is a fantastic resource. I cannot oversell it. It's a YouTube channel. It's Ryan Reeves. And he walks through church history, but he's very good at it. But the, the benefit of going through this is you are going to subsequently learn all these theological positions and where the genesis of them is. And he, he starts all the way before Christ, and he goes up into the Pentecostal movement up into the 1950s. Well, actually, he goes into the 80s. So I would encourage checking that out because I recently had two people who are Honestly, they're like family to me, and they just decided to step out of our church for a season. And when they left, instead of being hurt, I'm actually encouraged. And they even sent me a text this morning, and they said, listen, we're still looking, but we want you to know 
we still consider you our pastor right now in the meantime. Thank you. And like a lot of that, me being able to walk through them with that, because I have failed at it in the past. But the reason I was because I knew some of the struggles they were going through and practicing empathy, which came from just knowing where some of these theological differences were. It got me a lot of ground. And I'll, and I'll level with you. This family may come back one day because they left right. You know, they didn't run from something. I feel like they were trying to pursue God. So how do you guys uh, think this touches on your discipleship process? And I think later on we're going to do hopefully a whole episode on like the specifics of each of our churches, you know, like what's the path to go from like new believer to member in that process of discipleship. But how do you think this kind of touches on it? Uh, Discipleship isn't about bringing them closer to you. It's about bringing them closer to Jesus. Uh, I I think we miss that a lot. Um, I have a lot of people who, who, talk about discipleship and all they really want is to make many thems instead of many Jesuses. And discipleship is follow me as I follow Jesus, no doubt. I mean, Paul said that, but they're not meant, you're not meant to bring people in so that they can just think and do the way that you do to strengthen who you are as a leader and as a pastor. Um, so, And I think too, like I've seen us in kind of the evangelical world coming out of the church, uh, the church growth movement of decades past, I've seen the mistake made where we sort of um, we, we mix what is known as assimilation uh, in kind of the church growth movement world with what should be more discipleship. And I think that really hits on it in an institutional level, organizational level. What you said, Sean, like we're trying to make like produce these little, I don't know, members of this specific church instead of like disciples of Jesus who are following him. And, um, it, it's just, it's a hard thing to keep in mind. So I, I would recommend there's a couple books, Del, what you said reminded me, there's a couple books, uh, called the no series. I'll put the links in the show notes, but they are a couple of them are know the creeds and councils, which is really helpful to understand. Cause those are creeds and councils are essentially the church's attempt to crystallize some thought on some theological issue. So it's really helpful to know the history of those. And then the other one, uh, is called know the heresies. And so it helps you understand the historical heresies in the church. And uh, that that's another really good exercise. Anything else any you guys want to add to this yeah. conversation? I actually want to throw in one more thing I uh, didn't say with that. I think the other issue, too, that we have as leaders is we we miss that. If if we're leading them to ourselves, we can only they're only going to hit a certain ceiling, a certain cap that we're also at. And I don't want that from people in my church. I don't want that from my elders. I don't want that for our congregants. I don't want that for our other staff and pastors. I want them to exceed that and to, you know, be more than my limited view, my limited scope could be, because that's when like the Lord can really take people and start these huge movements and make huge culture shifts. And if you're only leading them to your capacity and that's where their limit is, then you're always going to be an insecure upfront leader with this crew of people behind you instead of allowing people to become who they, who God wants them to be. And that's again, a control thing. But um, if discipleship is is not about putting people closer to Jesus, then I think we can lose that and we can hurt people in their long run as well. So a real quick thing on that, because you talked about bringing people to Jesus. And if you, you know, pastors listen to this podcast, every pastor knows the vision and mission of their own church. And that's important because it keeps us from doing stuff we shouldn't be doing. And we know exactly what this particular church is called to do. But as pastors, it's real important that we don't let your mission and vision overstep Jesus' mission and vision. 
you know, because like what you were saying earlier, when someone joins your church, you want them to get on mission with your church. You want to, quote, assimilate them to what your church is doing. But listen, that may not be the calling for their life, you know, to like, granted, all of our churches are moving in a similar direction, but we do it in unique ways, you know? So I think if someone is getting into like, man, we feel like we're doing house church and that's where you got, okay, that's a conversation. That's not what our church is. You know what I'm saying? So like, I don't need to force my vision and mission on them because God's calling might be unique, but similar. And it might mean that this church is for everybody, but not everybody belongs here. You know, I think along the same lines, I kind of to jump off what you said, like for me, the insecurity thing plays itself out in like this, this, if I'm honest with myself, there's this deep down desire for me to be the best theologian in the church or to like be the best at Bible study in the church or to be the best, have the most advanced understanding. And like, that is nowhere near the case in my church. I just had a guy who's a member at my church and it's a small church, 50 members or so. I just had a guy get a paper that he wrote selected to be at the international meeting of the society of biblical literacy. Like this stuff is way above my pay grade. Yeah. And I'm, you know, my immediate reaction is like, geez, I got to preach to this guy. And I've got, you know, people with master's degrees in Greek and they teach at seminaries. And it's like, I'm never going to really like surpass them. But then you come back to like, that's not the point. That's not the calling. That's not the office God has given me. And when, you know, they, they in the same way have things they can learn from me. And God has just put me in this, in this place, in this position, in this chair, so to speak. And my role is to be faithful in that spot not to try to be the foremost like smart person in our church because I'm just not. And that's some of that insecurity. So when people challenge you or bring up different theological stream kind of things they're reading, you really, it's not about, it's not a personal attack on you. It's just somebody exploring and you have to be able to, to really name those insecurities if you have them and then try to deal with them. There are, there are questions at issue between Christians to which I do not think I have the answer. There are some to which I may never know the answer. If I ask them, even in a better world, I might, for all I know, be answered as far as a greater questioner was answered. What is it to thee? Follow thou me. But there are other questions as to which I am definitely on the side, on one side of the fence, and yet say nothing, for I was not writing to expound something I could call my religion, but to expound mere Christianity, which is what it is and what, I'm sorry, I can't, I'm trying to read off my phone and I've got that, it was like almost 40 eyes, but that's my my favorite thing that C.S. Lewis has ever written is the intro to mere Christianity. It is th- when he takes John 21, 22 and says, this isn't just about John and Peter walking on a beach. What is it to you? You, you know, what he does, you must follow me. But as followers of Christ, what is it to thee? Follow me. If somebody is going to veer down a different path of orthodoxy than you are, good. Like that's, that's what we, what we want. We want people to follow Christ, how he has called each and every one of them. So, hey, Flame, proud of you, my friend. I am thrilled that you are enjoying communion with Christ's physical presence in with and under the elements as opposed to the symbolic nature that so many of us see man great conversation guys I love it Uh, we're going to take a break and we're going to come back and have our main discussion 
Hey, everybody. Jeff here again. Before we get back to the main discussion, I did want to come on here and just remind you, maybe entice you to join us at our Facebook group, Practically Pastoring, because this month we have picked a book to read together and then have a discussion at the end of the month, Facebook Live. The five of us from the podcast will be on there talking about what has challenged us, and you can join in on the comments and let us know what your questions are or what your insights are. The book is The Gospel-Driven Church, Uniting Church Growth Dreams with the Metrics of Grace by Jared C. Wilson. And just again, to entice you to join in with us, I wanted to read you a very short quote. Some things in ministry take a deeper wisdom to discern or decipher. These can't simply be measured by counting heads. I would even argue that the more important a metric is, the more difficult it is to quantify. This is one reason why Jesus appointed shepherds for his flock and not accountants. Man, that is a challenging quote for me. And so I just want to, again, invite you to jump on over to Facebook, search for our group, Practically Pastoring, uh, and then join us for this book club. You can grab the book right now on Amazon. You can do what I did, which is grab it on uh, Kindle or on audiobook, and you can listen to it and read along with it. And so hopefully you'll find it as challenging and as uh, worthwhile of your time as I have so far. I'm looking forward to reading the rest of it, and I hope you'll join me in that, and I hope I'll see you over in the Facebook group. All right, back to the main discussion. All right, everybody, welcome back. We are on to the main discussion, and today, to just show you how current this show is, We're going to answer a question from the Facebook group that was actually posted this morning as we're recording. And so uh, Marcus Pauly, who is of the same alma mater as me, so shout out Trinity College of Florida, uh, asked this question. It's a really great question and uh, something that really all of us have had to deal with at some point on some level. This is his question. He said, I'll be visiting a church in person this week with the possibility of becoming their middle school pastor. Congrats on making it that far in the process, buddy. And then he said, what are some questions you feel would be important to ask in person? And I just want to say, first of all, I love that you're making the distinction of asking in person because it definitely is a different animal when you get on the ground and you're sitting there with the hiring committee or whoever and you have questions to ask. So I just thought we'd take it from a couple different angles. uh, And then we have a little bit of a spinoff conversation that uh, we wanted to have Sean let us know about. So, But uh, here's a couple ways to take this question. What questions to ask? If Now, this is as you as the candidate, if you are a pastoral staff candidate. So you're not going to be the senior pastor or the campus pastor. You're going to be like a worship pastor, a youth pastor, maybe a children's pastor. What questions would you say are good to ask of the kind of the hiring committee or the elder board, whoever's doing the hiring? This The reason that we started recording a little bit late, I was having lunch with my my youth guy. He's a part-time guy, also a current student at Trinity College of Florida, about to graduate. Shout out. And he has big boy interviews this week for full-time positions. And so I've told him from the the get-go, if we did not have a full-time position available for him here, I would bend over backwards to make sure he was getting one elsewhere when he was graduating. And so he and I were kind of having the what do you do and what don't you do when you're when you're interviewing question over lunch today. So I saw that question in the Facebook group, and I thought, man, I hope we have this as a question of the day on the show. And then, Jeff, in your wisdom. Or in my panic, Um, because I am (laughs) Because we didn't have a question of the day. Uh, I I think asking about when you're there in person, you've had the first several rounds of interviews, I'm guessing. I would ask about the rhythms of the, the workflow. You know, you've probably gotten through a lot of the theological questions, which, which vein are you running in kind of stuff. But 
you need to know if you're going to have the church secretary that is angry at you for the rest of the week if you don't show up till 10.30 some mornings, because there are some churches that they could care less, and there are other churches where someone's going to be standing out in the parking lot waiting to see where your car is. And some people work really well that way. Some people don't. So I would just ask about the rhythms of the workspace. I would ask about the, you know, what, what are the unwritten expectations? What are things that have always been done that you want to continue that haven't brought up so far? You know, what, what is that one event? If you're applying for the middle school position, what do you expect the youth pastor to do during vacation Bible school? Because for 15 years in youth ministry, I got blindsided. Crap, I have to participate in vacation Bible school. I hate puppet shows, you know, or that first year they're like, well, the youth pastor always does The youth this. pastor is always the recreation director at vacation Bible school. Someone should have taught us that in Bible college. Direct, it's direct. terrible. It's... <laughs> I I can't share with you how big of an issue that was at my last church that I came in as a high school pastor and the last guy before me was all about like love, live, probably should have been a children's director. And I told him, hey, I'm not going to do any of that because I'm not in children's ministry and it, I, I don't care about BBS. And, it and the was children's like, person hated you. Well, for a little while she did, but eventually it was like, okay, you can try to use and manipulate me to get there, but I want you to know you're going to get like a 20% effort because I do not want to be there. And they were like, oh, well, that's a really good point. Um, so standing your ground on that's important too. So You know, I think a lot of your questions and them being valuable to you have to do with what you do before you get into that room. Like one of the things that's, that's very important to me is I, I really try to make sure that my questions come from my convictions because like a lot of times my questions could be just like form questions, but I think a very good practice for you to do before you interview is sit down and write down, these are my convictions. And if I take this job, I would have to work against who I am. For example, one conviction for me is that you are not hiring my wife. You're hiring me. And she does not have to step foot in a classroom and teach anything. She will be an active member of church because that's what we do. We love Jesus and we participate in the church, but you're not getting her. So that's a conviction. Another conviction, I will never wave on what I see scripture saying sin is, and I will never move the line on what I see scripture clearly saying salvation is, you know? So like for me, I, I have these, I actually turned down a job is my first student I interview for a student pastor is the first one ever I interviewed. They offered it to me y'all. And I'm not gonna lie. They offered, I'll just tell you, I got nothing high. They offered $55,000 a year plus benefits for a first year student pastor to me. Holy cow. Like, I, I don't know where you're at in ministry, but them's, them's talking dollars. But you know, I asked my conviction questions and they had a couple places where they waved on a couple things they thought sin wasn't that I say it is. And they said, I said, well, tell me how does someone get saved? I asked them to preach the gospel to me. And, uh, you know, wherever you're at, that's this isn't about that conversation. But as they were preaching the gospel to me, they ended up telling me that I was going to teach a class. And at the end of that class, if they affirmed my class, they were now affirmed in their salvation. And I'm like, whoa, so I'm a salesman for Jesus in your church, you know? And then um, another conviction that I have is a conviction of that the Holy Spirit brings unity and encouragement. So like, I think that should be alive in a church that I'm in. And I asked them that and they said, 
Their church is really good about providing correction, but sometimes doesn't provide the most encouragement. So I'm like, so here I'm going to be living in the tension of sin, salvation, and, you know, unity, but I have $55,000 a year. You know, so like I ended up passing on that, but a lot of my best questions I ever had came from my convictions because some of you are just going to need different things answered because the way God's made you. Uh, I was just going to say, you know, it's if you've ever bought a car uh, from someone or some uh, dealership or whatever, that's kind of how you need to treat an opportunity in the church too. is don't go in and fall in love with just one single car because you think it would like feel really good or look really cool. Um, Know that there's other cars on other lots and uh, it's okay to say no. And I think a lot of times, especially in ministry and jobs, we're like, man, I want this church because of what I see they offer. But one of the questions I would ask, honestly, and and I have no idea if uh, you have this kind of allotment of time, but I would ask if if I could go in and just see how a Monday or a Tuesday looks in the church and just be present, maybe schedule lunch with uh, one of the pastors, you know, the youth pastor, if there's a a senior high person there and say, I just want to experience a culture for 24 24 hours and see what that actually looks like. Um, Because there's a lot of stuff you won't know because they're going to put their best foot forward for you as well. Because there's excitement of like, hey, here's the guy we might hire. And so being able to go in and experience that and then say, Mm -hmm. I I just want to go to a staff meeting. I want to see how people are. And that'll tell you so much about how you fit because it's not just about do do you fit there, but do they fit you as well? And so because um, if you can't if you can't make that understanding and choice out of that, you're le- lending yourself for a lot of hardship because you'll you'll look past things and go, well, it's not that big of a deal, or like, well, you know, I could do this instead. And what you should have done is said no on the front end, and so that you don't have two and a half years of pain uh, or a year. Because the other thing that happens with student ministry is that people treat students like they're stepping stones and like, I'm going to get here so I can get here and get up the ladder. And what you do is you tell students that they are not important and that you're using them and they'll see right through that. And honestly, that'll, that'll ruin your credibility with me if you come apply for my church one day and you've got six steps up the ladder. Um, so know that you're called there first and called into the culture and not just a, a thing you do. And, and also you need to know that the church you're interviewing for is jacked up, messed up, and broken because that's the kind of people that are in it. And the best advice that was given to me when I was getting to the final decision was this. You need to find out what's wrong with this church and determine if you can live with it. You know, it's kind of like when you get a house. No house is perfect. You know, like right now my wife and I are looking at a house and it's got this one issue and we're like, oh my gosh. But then we both sat down together. We're like, we agreed to assume this issue and and because we love the house this much and we're going to live with that because we think that the the payoff is better. But I know um, one church I interviewed at back in the day, their senior pastor, I did the interview and the entire time the the other staff guy wouldn't talk to me. Like the, the interview party talked to me, the senior pastor, he kind of ignored me. We went out for lunch together. The senior pastor sat at a different table and it's an interview lunch. What? So the thing that was, bro, <laughs> yes, he sat at a different table while his pulpit committee sat with me. And I said, okay, so that's the thing that's at least on the surface area that's wrong with this church is you're not going to have the support at least on the front end of the senior pastor and me personally, I couldn't live with that. 
So I decided I found out what's wrong with it and I ran away. But please, like the what Sean said is, man, you, we fall in love with a car and we don't we forget, oh, it only gets 12 miles to the gallon. You know, and we, we don't think about the things that we might not can live live. So like write write it down and look at it your face. This is the thing that's broken in this church. If you're moving from a smaller church to a bigger church, chances are you're going to be moving into a lot more systems, a lot more structure. You're going to be moving into a place where you have a lot less autonomy. And some of you listening right now, you are like creative creatures. And if you get told you can no longer create a graphic and you can no longer make this video and do that, like you can't live with that unless you know about it beforehand. So find out what's wrong with it. And then you need to determine if you can live with it. And if you're married, you should ask your wife, do you think I can live with this? Cause she'll give you a straight answer or ask your spouse. Hey, can you live with this? Cause oh, that's good because man, there was a season at a previous church where things just weren't going well. We were like the, and this is a, this was a church with 800 members, but we were the one couple between 30 and 40 with kids. It was just super bizarro because Florida old people. And my wife and I would go home and watch another church online together every Sunday night for six months while, like just to try to have some kind of church experience together. And then, you know, by the grace of God, a few uh, friends joined and you know, they, they got suckered in too. We're gone. They're still there. It's cool. But there, there was that season where my wife was considering like, do I go to this other church while my husband is on staff here? And that, no, that doesn't make sense. That's not healthy for us. But you need to ask your spouse if they are going to be able to live with the thing that you don't know if you can live with. Cause like it's our job. Like you put, put on your big boy pants and you do it, but it's not their job. So make sure your spouse can live with it as well. There's a few things I can think of to ask, but one theme I'm hearing from all of us that I think all of us would, if I say this, are probably going to nod our head. You can ask all the questions you want. There is going to be something that happens or that's there that you did not expect. That's just, that's a fact. If you're going in as a, as a, you know, a staff pastor, um, there's going to be something, someone's going to come up to you and say, well, the youth pastor always did VBS or you're supposed to do this, or we don't do it like that, that they didn't think to tell you in the interview and you didn't think to ask. So you kind of need to expect that there's going to be something about it. That's not going to be perfect. Um, but there are a few questions I think I wish I had asked in the past. Um, one situation I was interviewing, I candidated actually flew all the way across the country there ended up not working out. And later I actually spoke to the guy who would have been in, who was in the same position I was applying for before me. And he was like, dude, glad you didn't go there because of this, 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 which are things that I kind of saw when I was there, but I kind of was doing that. Like, well, I'll I'll be all right with it. It'll, it'll be fine. But he was just saying after like a year and a half, two years, it really just drove him nuts. And it would have me too. So if you can, if you feel like this situation is appropriate with this hiring committee, um, maybe ask some questions about what, why is there this opening? What happened with the previous pastor? What um, don't you want me to know? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what you're asking without exactly asking that. So what happened to the guy who was in this position before me? Did you create a new position? Um, how did that go and see how they speak about this person? Hopefully they'll speak pretty dispassionately and they won't, you know, bash the guy, but if they do, that's a pretty big red flag. And then, um, another, another way to kind of talk about that is to ask some way, like, what is something that if I did it, 
and I didn't know about it would get me fired. That's like church culture. I mean, obviously there are things you should know. If you do this, you're going to get fired. But there might be some things that are just church culture that you have no idea about that if you did it, it's going to go bad for you. And you you could not have seen that coming. So those are a couple of things to maybe ask about. Like what happened to the guy that had this spot before me? And then like, is there something that I could potentially do? Like if I don't show up for VBS or if I say, no, I'm not going to do VBS and you thought I was going to, is that fire? Am I going to get like, is that going to be trouble? Man, I, I know a guy. We have some VBS problems in our past here <laughs> well, that we haven't discussed. I, I would say I know a guy, but <laughs> true story, I knew a guy because he died, which is scary. Um, super high strung guy. He was a guy that had bounced around to a bunch of churches and took a worship position at a church that I was at. And I think it was kind of like he was running from something, not running to something like we talk about. Uh, well, he did not realize that it was expected of him to run a part of this like weird theater camp thing they did at our church. And so he was doing the music side of that and the kids were like, it it was not good. It was not a good mix. So he like, I'm laughing. It's cool. He's dead. He's not listening. Um, He screamed at a bunch of kids and like went in two days later, like handed in his keys. He's like, yeah, I know that, that, that was bad. I shouldn't have done that. It's cool. And here's this person who's this classically trained musician who is brought in to work with choirs and whatnot. And next thing he knows, he's expected to spend a week trying to teach a bunch of fifth graders to be a show choir and has no idea that he's getting into that. And uh, he was kind of high strung and had a massive heart attack like six months after he quit. You can ask like that. You could ask, you know, this goes to the VBS thing. Uh, some question about what specific events throughout the calendar in this church year am I like involved in and which ones do I oversee? And they, they may not realize that they forgot to tell you about, you know, whatever event it is or whatever. Dell, you had one more. Yeah, I I had one more thing. And this is another question, maybe not to ask at the interview, but you definitely need to ask yourself Um, what we have learned at our church. We are in South Carolina. What we've learned is when we hire anyone from beyond the Mason-Dixon line, um, that the the culture shift is quite large. And sometimes it really is, some people can catch it, but a lot of times it either takes them a year or two to get the new culture, um, or sometimes it just doesn't sit well. So I think you really need to consider the culture of the church you're moving into, and not just the actual church, but the part of the world. Because um, sometimes, like if, like, you can bring a skinny pants, you know, you know, black rim goatee guy with who's all tatted up and who can play like anything on it. You know, like you can bring him to Sumter, South Carolina. He will, it will look awesome, but he can't necessarily impute that culture here in Sumter. It just won't take. And it's, it's, a, it's back to one of what Sean was saying in discipleship, like our jobs to bring him to Jesus, not to be more like me. So you have to, if, if you are interviewing at a place, look at some of the other establishments around the place. What's the best, where, where do people shop in this town? 
go to that place. Like in, here in Sumter, if you want a culture shelter, you go to a place called Simpsons Hardware. I know that sounds like the most Southern thing to do, but like here, that's where a lot of women's clothes is, believe it or not. That's where the hunters go. Like, <laughs> believe it or not. Yeah. Like Simpsons Hardware. <laughs> go ahead. Yeah. But seriously, like Sumter's a it special is, place. But like, I'm yes. going to get my wife a gift card to Simpsons Hardware so she can go pick herself out something pretty. Get her a tool belt. No, but but seriously, they got <laughs> Southern. It's like it's called Southern whatever clothing is there. They got Patagonia. It's a big store, but you go and sit there in five minutes. You see the culture of Sumter. Um, another place you can go here in Sumter is you go to the park, Swan Lake. It's a it's a kind of a park here where there's obviously lots of swans. Just sit. Watch people in the area because see, here's the thing you're interviewing at that church, but the people you're going to be reaching hopefully are well beyond that church. Hopefully they're the people that are in that community. So you need to get a snapshot of the people in that community, know their culture, do a little bit of research because that can be a thing where you're like, oh man, these people seem like my people. Um, like, I think that, man, they feel like an extension of who I am or not, you know, but I think that's very thing you need to ask yourself as well as like, can I get this culture? Can I pull a Paul and become all things to all people here? You know, I think one other, one last thing I would say about this, and then I want to shift to your conversation, Dell and Sean, but, um, you know, if you're going there in person, if they've asked you to come in person, they're spending money for a hotel or whatever, and maybe an airline that's because they want you. They've gotten to the point where like, you're the guy they want, your resume is at the top. So all the things that you look at at them and say, ah, I can probably overlook that, that are going to bug you in a year. They're doing things about you that they're saying, ah, he could probably do that. And in a year it's going to bug them. So just remember that. Like I remember applying at a place where I was going to, I was a worship pastor, but I'm from the, like, I play guitar and it's a band, right? That's, that's my world. I don't do choir. But this church wanted me to come in and they had a, they had a couple choirs, which I wouldn't have had to like lead, but I would have had to oversee. And this is exactly one of those things where you're like, well, we have a volunteer who leads it and they wanted, you know, they were interested in me and I was interested in the position. And it was like, I was almost to the point of like, yeah, this could probably, this could probably work, you know, but in my mind, it was like kind of bugging me. And I asked a pastor friend of mine in his office one day, like, Hey, do you think I'm a fit at this church? And he walked over to the doorway and he said, do you see this? And he started banging his head on the edge of the doorway. And he said, this is you in a year if you take that job. <laughs> and so that good. was some that was some good advice. Like, dude, don't, because remember, they want you too. If you're at the point where they're flying you in to do an in-person interview or even just driving you there for the day, like they, they're going to start to do the same thing you are where like you look like a shiny new car and they're going to overlook a couple dings that you might have that are just culture differences that are going to bug them in six months or a year that then is going to be difficult for you. So man, great conversation guys. But Dell, you asked Sean to be on today because you wanted to talk about basically building a staff for free. So I'm yes. really interested in that. Cause I'm a solo pastor. My, yeah. my phone scrolling just stopped. Yeah. My Andrew's, about to, <laughs> Andrew's about to lose a youth pastor. And if he can, you know, Dude. get one for free, he's in. Yeah. So um, Sean is from Trailside Church up in uh, Traveler's Rest, South Carolina. And one thing I know about Sean every time I go out with him is like everyone up there knows you. One day I went to hang out with Sean. He's like, yo, I'm, I'm, I'm having coffee with the mayor. Come on in. Oh, oh okay. We'll go do that. So um, we went in there, had a conversation, and then I left and I realized, man, this this is just a mag you know, attractive personality. So then I go to your campus, um, your offices. 
And when I go in there, you're like, hey, I got this guy. He's over adult ministries. I got this guy. He's over the video production. I've got this guy. He's over student ministries. And I'm like, Sean, I, I thought you were the only paid staff here. He's like, well, yeah. I'm like, but you're operating like a church with like six staff. What do you do? He's like, I don't pay them. I'm like, but they're putting in like 30 hours a week. Well, yeah. And then I realized, oh my gosh, this is this is a thing. So um, I've actually seen a lot of good things come out from that. So what I really wanted to do is, Sean, just kind of set the stage with my experience. And I just wanted to ask like that culture that you've created where people want to work for free. Like, first of all, how do you pick, how, how do you meet these people? How do you know where to place them? What do you tell them? Because obviously you're not giving them a financial package. How do you have accountability? Because sometimes when you're not paying people, it's hard to hold them accountable because they could just walk away. And then how much authority do you give them versus how much do you keep? So just a question in that, because I do think there's a lot of us in the, in the boat where we're like, yeah, we don't have more money, but we definitely need to have a staffer who's over a live stream and videography now. So I'll turn it over to you, bud. Yeah. <clears throat> um, well, first off, thanks. Uh, <laughs> that's kind of, kind of overwhelming to think about. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, you know, so I, I think the thing that I realized, um, well, first I'll say this in, in leading this church, I'm not getting paid much either. Like <laughs> planning a church is So you're leading by example. Sound. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I haven't pulled more than half of my supposed salary, you know, for the last two and a half years, I got three kids. So we've lived pretty, pretty light. Um, but I, I think the thing that, the, the thing that shifts with people and having a staff of people is that for us, it's not a thing where you're like, Hey, come and, um, you know, have this carrot in front of you where like one day you'll have a staff position or one day you'll make this money or one day, whatever it's kind of the opposite. It's like, Hey, listen, this is the, like, this is the vision for our church. This is why we, what we do matters. And, um, if you want to be a part of that, we can talk about that. But the greater, the second kind of step with that is people want to get involved in stuff when it's fun. So how do you keep them involved when it's not, or when it's hard or when like, you know, but we have a, a girl who is college age, who, um, stepped into the real world instead of college and she's an intern and, um, she told me the other day, I was like, you know, we need to get the bathrooms clean. And she was like, okay, no problem. I'll do that. She goes, I just want to be here. And I'm like, I was kind of like, wow, I don't, I don't want to clean the bathroom. So it's incredible to me that she's even willing to do that. Um, but the thing that, that they see in it is not like, uh, and I tell people, I'm not going to go clean the bathroom. I'm not going to clean up the parking lot. I'm not going to, you know, print things out or whatever. Like it's that what I'm doing matters to the kingdom of God because these things allow people to come in and hear the gospel. And so if me cleaning the bathroom or sweeping a floor or printing things out or making coffee or helping schedule people, if, if my role in that is going to facilitate this experience for people to come in and hear the gospel and have their lives changed, then it's worth it for them to do that. And so um, that's been one main catalyst, I guess. Uh, the other thing is that, you know, we, we tell people all the time, like we believe in people. And so if you have a calling or if you think you have a calling, you can discern that here. Like we will, I will walk with you. Like our team will walk with you and welcome you. You can come and ask questions. And, you know, we, we actually had a family uh, that left a week ago, two weeks ago, a week ago. 
And he was here for like two months and said, hey, I think I'm called into ministry and I don't know what it looks like. And so through a discernment process with him, he sat down last Monday and was like, hey, I don't think it's for me. And we're like, great, we can celebrate that. And so, um, you know, that's the the main heart of why we do and how we do what we do and get people involved in it. It's like, because money is great, but if we trust God and to be who he says he is, um, and he wants us to be involved and we have the opportunity to do things to lead people to a place where they can experience the gospel. Why do we not want to be a part of that? Um, so that's kind of that part that you, you talked about another thing though, the authority part of that, um, miserably hard. I'd say that is like, there's two big pieces of weight that I have on me all the time. One is asking people to do things when they're not paid and knowing that like, I, I have to balance what I can ask of them. And the other is letting people do things that they want to do, no matter what the money is, and then putting that into this kind of box of how do you have authority over that? Well, what I do is I have expectations that are based off of what they're called to do and how it fits in the vision of our church. And I help align them in that. One of the ways we do that is uh, we have guardrails. Um, So I'm I'm a Browns fan, obviously, and love football, love sports. And like four years ago, three or four years ago, uh, the Browns GM got leaked this thing they had called the guardrails of their draft. And they said, we're not going to draft people who do this. We're looking for th- these characteristics of people. Um, you know, we're not going to bring people in who have these character concerns. Um, and here's kind of how we build our roster. Well, I just did that for church. So I made guardrails for our staff of talent retention, who we're looking for, um, how we're going to grow them, what our staff culture is, uh, different things that are going to be different for from us than other churches. Like one thing is um, best friends with scratch. Uh, if something doesn't work, that's okay. We're going to, if we feel like we're supposed to do it, we're going to do it. And if we fail at it, or if it isn't what we want it to be, we'll scratch it out, do something else, start again. That's not, it's not a loss. Like we're not scared to be vulnerable with our church and say, Hey, we missed the boat on that one. Thanks for supporting us and walking through it with us. Hey, let's go do this next thing. Um, and so that, that's a big thing we've done is just build those guardrails out and know this is who we are. This is what you can expect. Uh, and it's helped keep staff and keep people around who aren't paid or who are paid very little um, to be a part of something bigger than themselves. I mean, that sounds think- like a great like mission vision, just exercise, just going through yeah. and building some kind of document or, you know, system of guardrails, because you as a pastor having to put that mission of vision kind of rubber to the road in how you're, you know, uh, getting people to kind of come alongside you and walk with you. That's, that sounds really like a cool process. Yeah. And it's, it's the first thing I do with people when they want to be involved in more of a higher volunteer, like when they want to team lead or when they want to be a part of our staff, I, I go, it takes like an hour and a half, but I go through every bit of it of this is who we are. This is who we're looking for. This is how we keep people. This is how we keep volunteers and because it, it's important to us. And if you can't get on with that, then, you know, you, we're probably not going to be able to be able to utilize you in those roles. Being in Sean's church, like visiting, one thing I've noticed, Sean, is that your people are very transparent about their ambition. Like, I I know that you've had a guy come up and say, hey, listen, I want to serve here because I feel like I'm called to be a pastor. And I like that you, you set that stage where it's like, tell me what you want. Don't perform over here and expect me to think this you know? Um, but what I heard that you just said, which I think has aided in creating that culture is, um, what I, what I'm hearing you say is you don't necessarily call people to the task or the title. You call them to the gospel and and then the task and the title flows out of that. 
And because of that, um, they feel like they have more freedom to say, hey, listen, my t- I feel like my task is becoming this. And even if it's an ambitious task, the fact that they have the freedom to even bring that up to you and for you to know that you're listening to them, I, I, I think there's a lot of value in that for somebody who would work for free. Well, it, it just, it, this might sound weird, but it it never occurred to me that that's something that shouldn't happen in church. Um, like it never occurred to me that what we have is, is weird or different um, because we haven't had a choice. You know, we've had people like, hey, if you want to be a part of this, like come be a part of it, but I can't pay you. I can't make you do this stuff. But what we can do is we can help you understand what you're called to and then build that out for you and then either have you come here or send you off. Um, you know, and uh, that's another thing that I think we do too, is like, we don't have needless uh, ministries and programs. Like if you come up to me and you say, man, I'm, I'm, I love student ministry. I want to get involved in student ministry. Um, you should start a student ministry. Nope. No, I shouldn't start a student ministry. You should start a student ministry and I will walk with you and encourage you and help give you what I know from that. And when you build that student ministry up and we have parents and people coming and the church is growing because that's one more thing that we're doing really well because you're called to it and you're willing to sacrifice and grind for it. When, when it comes up to where the church is growing and we have the money to go, Hey, you know, we need to hire a student pastor. What do we do? I'm going to look at you and be like, here's the guy who God brought in and did it. And everyone's going to go makes total sense. Let's hire him. Let's invest. Let's pay for that. And so that's another thing we do is like, if you're passionate about something and the gospel's called you to it, don't come to me and say, Hey, you need to do this. Or our church needs to do this. No, that's obvious that God's called you to do that. Now let's figure out how you can do that and make it the best of it. Yeah. So. And another thing I've observed, and I think it has helped that I've had the benefit of the outsider in your ministry. Cause I see things that you do like in churches where the staff are paid to be there. A lot of times those churches are like, okay, staff boot up is at 10 AM on Monday. You have to be there. Well, you're paid. You have to. But what I noticed with you is when it comes to the pastoral care end on these um, free hires, you seem to be a little bit more available maybe than someone who's paying someone. Is there a pastoral care, um, a different type of load there between a volunteer staff versus a paid staff? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think so because I can't just say, Hey, you're paid to do this, go do it. Um, you know, I, and I will say we have a guy now who's our, on our care pastor and he's, he's stipend a little bit, um, with the goal of him being full-time here shortly. But, uh, I, I, I don't know. I mean, the reality is like, I, I've had to learn a lot of tough, tough moments because we gave too much authority to people at times as well. Um, and so that's why we don't have a student pastor right now. That's one thing that's kind of, we're working through right now is we don't have one. Um, cause I gave too much authority to a young guy who didn't need it. And, uh, it, you know, came crashing down. And so, um, Typically, we don't give authority to people in our church until they've been at our church for at least six months. Um, and so they've got to come in and they got to serve. And it's not like a serving the children's ministry and then we'll know you're serious about youth. Like it's a um, we need to make sure that you get the culture of our church, that you love the culture and are called to the culture of our church. Um, and then if you are, then we can talk about some of that authority and you know where you go. Uh, I don't know if that answered your question or not, but that's kind of. Uh, I think there's so much pressure as pastors as well to get everything right and to like not screw up. One of the things that my church is really regular is really used to is 
me getting up and being vulnerable and sometimes saying like, Hey, we missed it here. Um, and I think that's really important. Like that best friends with scratch mentality, you know, we don't have golden calves. Um, if you're going to lead and you're going to take these, these, uh, shifts in order to do something differently, you know, Dave Ramsey says live differently now so you can live differently later kind of idea. Well, outside of financials, that's true in church too. And so if you're going to do that, like you have to understand you're, you do open yourself up for some heartache and some hard, hard conversations, but the guys who have stuck out with us here aren't going anywhere. And the, to watch them do ministry, like my care pastor is a guy who wasn't a Christian three years ago. And I've never seen a care pastor love people as well as he does. And so you got to be willing to take take the notches and the marks, you know, on the way up to. Um, so you can't be scared and lead lead a staff of volunteers. Yeah, that goes back to that repentance conversation we had a few episodes ago, man. Well, mm-hmm. thanks so much. That's a that's really great advice, and uh, I think that all of us can implement some of those ideas. As far as uh, I think the the guardrails thing is a big piece uh, of just kind of working through your own mission and vision, and then knowing how to recruit people into the mission that God has given you as a church. So, we're going to take one final break, and we're going to come back and have just kind of a fun question of the week. back thanks andrew we're back and uh question of the week some of you probably partook in some party food yesterday Uh, i know that i did and so just simple question of the week what is your favorite super bowl or just party food uh that you've ever had like what's your go-to party food my wife takes these uh it's the white cheese puffs like they're made by cheese puff like they're not long like the regular ones they're like round they're like popcorn shape she melts white chocolate on top of those suckers like that's that's how i put on that last 30 pounds man it was i can eat a whole bowl of this white chocolate covered white cheddar cheese puff that combo of like salty and sweet sometimes it may sound gross but i'm telling you it is it's a little piece of heaven about a month ago, my kids asked if we could uh, get out our family's chocolate fountain if the Buccaneers made it to the Super Bowl, and well, they did and we did. And so today for the office ladies, I brought in a some of Andrew's home-dipped chocolate-covered strawberries. I'll just bite into this one right here. One Give right us here. one on the mic. Mm. Oh, oh, ASMR. Mm. oh, man. <laughs> Looks great. That's some Florida strawberries, too. Those are good. It's the season, my friend. Uh, for us, there's nothing better than classic buffalo wings. So, um, or when you're in the southeast, like we are, uh, barbecue wings too. So, uh, we smoked some wings yesterday, and then let me can I give you a quick tip. If you have a smoker, smoke wings, then baste them in some hot sauce, throw them in an air fryer. Best wings you ever had. Absolutely incredible. Crisp it up, and it and it like crisps the sauce into the wings. Oh, so we love wings. That would be a really good post in the group that all of us joined this past week. The Holy Smokes Facebook group. Would encourage- I should join that. So for me, I mean, I'm a sucker for just wings too. Like I can, I can, you know, I can go through some wings at a party. Uh, I will say after moving to Maryland, I'm a big fan of the old Bay wings. That's where it's at, man. Yeah. Just some dry rub. I'm in general, when it comes to barbecue and that kind of food, I'm dry rub before, you know, like a wet, but I, I'm good with either one, but yeah, old Bay wings. And then, my mom is from South America, 
Peru. And uh, they make this thing in Peru called Anticuchos, which is beef heart on a like kebab. And it's, mm. dude, it is, it's marinated. You had, you had me at beef heart. It is incredibly good. It is incredibly good. You had me at beef and then the heart came. So <laughs> last night we were getting ready for the game and my dad was bringing over wings and I was going to make burgers and hot dogs. And I thought, you know what? I know it's time to clean out the, the grease trap but I don't have time to right now because the game starts at 6.30. So I'll just lay some foil down on top of the grill. So all that grease got there on the foil. I went to flip the burgers, and it all went just <laughs> straight down into one of the were burgers. You, out, you were outside, though. I was outside, but I, I'm an idiot, and my, my grill is – obviously, I was outside. I was grilling, but my my grill is under the covered patio. So, like, five or six-foot flames coming out of the grill. It got real scary real quick. My wife had to run and go grab the fire extinguisher. I didn't have to use it, but, um, yeah, those burgers were extra, extra crispy last night. So, maybe I'll stick to the chocolate-covered strawberries for a while. Man, incredible story. I had a I had a walk full of fire the other day, too, but I'll tell that story another time. So, Man, it was a great episode, Sean. So thank you so much for joining us. We're glad that you got to share today. It was a lot of fun. And uh, maybe we'll see you again. Well, uh, that's it for us today. Just want to let you know to make sure to check us out on Facebook. Join the Facebook group and kind of the hub for everything you need to know, like how to get to our Instagram and our Facebook page and all that. Practicallypastoring.com. Go there. Find all the stuff you need. And uh, check on the... uh, the show notes for the episode page on this episode for all the resources and stuff we talked about. We'll try to throw all those in there. So until next time, when Frank Gill and Timothy Miller rejoin the skeleton crew and no longer will it be a skeleton crew, but the full crew, I'm Jeff Simpson. I'm Andrew Larson. I'm Delmar Pete. And I'm Sean Gaida. And we're Practically Pastoring. Thanks for listening. Get connected to other pastors by joining the Practically Pastoring Facebook group, where we get to share ideas and make each other better.